Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 80 of Baltimoreans, the show that, like A.J. Burnett, has decided not to retire despite its advanced age and mediocre (laughs) career. Now, folks, we may be getting a bit long in the podcasting tooth, but the only AARP I care about is the administrative assistant recording premium, because having that day job is a price I will happily pay to finance the purchase of the audio equipment which allows me to share the wisdom and good nature of my esteemed co-host with you each and every week. His name, of course, is Alan Smith. Damn, that's a cold-ass honky. Alan, how are you? I am doing very well, Sam. I'm doing very well. And we have a lot of very interesting stuff coming up on the program for y'all this evening. In just a bit, you'll hear our interview with the great Rock Kubatko who, of course, writes the blog School of Rock at uh, MassInSports.com. We will also be presenting our trademarked seventh-inning sketch, uh, a segment a little bit later in this show. We have another piece by the brilliant Charlie Hoppus titled Unmasked Justice. We'll be getting that in a little while. But before all of that, we will, of course, be continuing our celebration of the legacy of one of Birdland's great heroes with our most popular reoccurring segment, the Whitey Lockman Franchise Report. Celebrating, as we always do, Whitey's 560 OPS and 18 total bases for the 1959 Baltimore Orioles. Now, folks, uh, some listeners have been reporting alarming levels of euphoria (laughs) in the aftermath of listening to our previous episodes. In fact, a lot of them have contacted us to indicate that this show elicits such overwhelming ecstasy that they don't feel (laughs) equipped to process their newfound emotions. So... At the advice of our legal team, we want to make sure that you know that treatment for moron fever is available by visiting our website, bemorons.com, where you can find archived episodes of the show to satisfy your seemingly unquenchable thirst for the mellifluous sound of our voices. You can also find us on Twitter at bemorons, and you can also take solace in the loving arms of our sister wife podcasts, all of whom... (laughs) can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. Anyway, here we are in episode 80 of Baltimoreans, as Sam mentioned, which is four-fifths of the way to 100, and even more amazingly, one-fifty-sixth of the way to our seminal 4,500th episode, <laughs> which would, of course, mark our 100th year of doing Baltimoreans, assuming current usage rates. Amazing numbers, Sam. Meaningless, but amazing. (laughs) 80 is also the number of days that it reasonably takes one to circumnavigate the globe, at least according to Jules Verne uh, and his book Around the World in 80 Days. It's a decent book. I wouldn't recommend going out and reading it right now, but it does manage to connect a love story to a rich man's heroic but fundamentally silly effort to travel all the way around the globe. It's most interesting to me, though, in reflection, to... Uh, think about its take on a British empire upon which the sun literally never set. Because indeed, there was a time when, about when Verne was writing, in fact, in the late 1800s, when Brits occupied enough land that the sun didn't, in fact, set. It was always shining at some point on the British flag. 
if we hadn't gone and messed things up with our own little revolution over here, I think they'd still have it on lock. But we have been talking a lot on this show about dynasties. The Steelers, the Orioles, Elvis Presley. But man, that British Empire thing, that was a real beast. That was like 72 and 10 on the way to a third title. That was like hitting safely in 56 straight games. That's Wilt's 100-point game. That's Rocky Mercanio going 49 and 0. That's a very, that's a, it's an impressive record is what I'm saying. But there's something really interesting about that record, Sam, which is that it, it ended. And <laughs> history teaches us that all dynasties eventually fall. That even the mighty empires of Rome and Great Britain eventually slipped and slid back into the barrel full of crabs that the rest of us occupy. They do not always go quietly into the pages of history, but they all eventually crumble. Which, of course, brings me to the Yankees. Now, I know that there's a very real chance that I will end up regretting saying these things in a very short few months, but... (laughs) But that's never stopped us before. (laughs) And I know that the market system does sort of stack the deck for the Yankees to keep being able to spend and thus keep being able to compete. But don't you feel a little bit like the $500 in one-off season without addressing a farm system in shambles and addressing an ever-aging and injury-prone roster creeping closer and closer to outright decrepitude, doesn't that feel a little bit like holding gladiatorial games as the poor of Rome starve? Doesn't it feel a little bit like this was the Yankees' Yilinois-Bar massacre? Feel free to look that up. This feels to me like the final blaze of self-immolation that comes from a team, an empire really, an evil, evil empire whose base of power is corrupted and whose formerly deep pockets cannot recover from this last desperate attempt at staving off the inevitability of irrelevance. Of course, now that I say that, they will finish 15 games ahead of us and win the East going away. Oh, well. Well, uh, I, Alan, am going to ignore the trenchant... uh uh point that you've just made and instead go back to to a phrase in your introduction uh which was the following the movie (laughs) around the world in 80 days is most or sorry the book around the world in 80 days is most interesting to me because of its quote uh perspective on the british empire (laughs) which may be the most baltimoreans transition of all time how fitting for our 80th show All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right now to the Whitey Lockman Franchise Report. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Whitey Lockman Franchise Report, where each week we take three news items from Birdland and beyond and assign them a ranking ranging from strikeout to home run. Number one, A.J. Burnett will not, in fact, retire. According to a report today in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, Burnett has been toying with the emotions of both Orioles and Pirates fans for much of the offseason as he decides whether or not to hang it up after the 2013 season, uh, in which he pitched to a 3-3 ERA, 9.8 strikeouts per nine inning um, for the Pirates. Burnett, of course, does live in Maryland, uh, which the Orioles' front office has previously deluded itself into thinking might have some sort of sway in signing people like Teixeira or Gavin Floyd. But it's also much more likely to accept a short-term deal than uh, Irvin Santana, Mr. Jimenez, or Mr. Arroyo, which has probably been one of the issues in negotiating with these guys. What do you give the rating of his unretirement? Uh, I give it a triple. 
Ooh. I give it a triple, and I give it a triple because I actually think uh, for all of the risks that come with signing A.J. Burnett, who does not exactly have a sterling track record in the American League East, uh, we have said previously on this show that we don't need another Chris Tillman. Okay. We just need a guy who can throw 200 innings and uh, a guy who can miss some bats because that is not something that is in the arsenal of any of our starting pitchers. <laughs> that is true. Uh, A.J. Burnett is going to give up a lot of home runs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Yes. Um, his ERA is not going to be 3.30 in no. the way that it was last year, but it stands to reason that he might still strike out just as many guys. So uh, I think you put that guy in our rotation. That does the thing that we have been talking about for months and months on this show. It takes strain off the bullpen. Right. Uh, it allows um, it allows all of those guys to be fresher as the season goes on. It gives us a guy who's going to keep the offense in a position to establish an advantage in the game in the early going. And we're not going to have to commit to A.J. Burnett for longer than two years, I don't think, which is exactly the right amount of time for Gosman and Bundy to develop in the way we know we can't. We know they can. I only say a triple because he is going to pitch at age 37 this year, but uh, as long as he, he can fall off significantly from where he was last year and still be worth the money it would take to sign him. Okay, okay. I'm thinking a little more in the single department here. Uh, I think that because the team is built towards uh, being relevant in the next couple of years, and I'm not sure we're going to be able to resign a lot of our core pieces going forward. So I'm a little bit worried that, um, you know, I'm a little bit closer to the panic button, maybe. And I don't think that AJ Burnett is enough of a good pitcher to get out of the three or four range third or fourth starter we seem to have a lot of third or fourth starters so right now i would like a little bit more so you know it's a single but it's a single in my mind in the uh from the guy in the eighth hole and there are already two outs well it's interesting (laughs) that you mention our core because that leads us to item number two on the whitey lockman franchise report which comes from our department of you must be joking did you know, Alan Smith, did you realize that according to the BaseballReference.com way of measuring wins against replacement, Ryan Flaherty was more valuable than Matt Wieters in 2013? Now, I'll say that one more time in case you just spit out the beverage you were drinking in shock. Mr. F. According to the war metric, wins against replacement, as calculated by BaseballReference.com, Ryan Flaherty was worth one win in 2013, and Matt Wieters was worth 0.4 wins. Wow. Well, I'm going to give this a dual rating. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this a, a a single for the fact that Ryan Flaherty actually was more valuable than I realized. <laughs> and I'm going to give it a strikeout because I think that the war rating is entirely silly. Okay. Because I, you can't, that doesn't pass the eyeball test. I mean, I know, I know, I know that advanced metrics are supposed to like elucidate parts of the game that we didn't see coming or like tell us more about watching, you know, what's actually happening beneath the surface. But there are certain parts of watching baseball where (laughs) you can't look at Ryan Flaherty striding into the box and looking just terrified and and striking out weekly on four pitches and compare that to the things that Matt Wieters does 
in calling a game, in defending, in throwing people out, in limiting the running game by the fact that he might throw you out, in, you know, keeping a ragtag <laughs> rotation together through, you know, duct tape and spit. I, I think that, to me, all that tells me is that wins against replacement is still a failable metric. <laughs> Okay, I, I agree with you about most of that. However, I'm going to give this a double. Uh-oh. Uh, and I say that I'm going to give it a double based on the point that you just made about re-signing uh, core members of the team right now. Okay. Because if you look at the fact that both Weeders and Chris Davis are represented by Scott Boris, uh, that is a pair of free agency negotiations that is going to be harrowing and ultimately extremely depressing for Orioles fans, regardless of how it works out. Well, because I mean, even if we get to keep both of them, we're going to pay them both way more money than we should be paying. And as the 336 boys were talking about uh, on their podcast earlier this week, the fact, or maybe last week, last week, just listened to it recently, the fact that Weeders is still in arbitration is not a good sign for no. those signings next year. But all of that said, okay, I do think it's reasonable to expect that we will re-sign one of them. Mm. And the way that those career trajectories are going, I would rather re-sign Chris Davis. Oh my gosh, yes. I would be very sad to see Matt Wieters go, Yes, but the ultimate effect on the team would be much, much less negative if it's Wieters that departs. Because another team, probably the Yankees, is going to overpay for a catcher like Wieters, whereas we're going to be able, hopefully, in this scenario, to keep Chris Davis, who is extremely versatile de- defensively, appears to be one of the hardest working men in show business and <laughs> um, Say it loud. and provides the offensive core that we have lacked for a very long time and is still just 27 or maybe 28 years old. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it's important that the only reason this war metric is important uh, is because I think it's an important reality check about the fact that for everything Matt Wieters means to us in our hearts He's probably not long for the Baltimore world. It doesn't mean that much to us on the field. <laughs> and at least according to some metrics, may not be the most valuable person we could be running out there. It's also worth noting that uh, Baseball Reference provides a handy guide with, uh, with its war calculation, um, which basically states like somebody with eight or above wins against replacement is right. an MVP candidate. Somebody with five or above wins against replacement is uh, an all-star Somebody with two wins against replacement or above is a major league starter. Uh, and both Ryan Flaherty <laughs> and Matt Wieters do not meet that standard. But moving on oh to number boy. three. <laughs> number three of the Whitey Lockman franchise report. Um, we want to talk about the fact that the Ch- Chicago Tribune reported today that a coalition of Northwestern University football players declared their intent to form a labor union, citing in particular a demand for the university to cover medical expenses stemming from sports-related injuries. This would be the first time in history that college athletics have sought a union representation. Sam, your thoughts? Grand Slam. Boom. Grand slam. Goodbye, home run. Goodbye. See you later. That's a round tripper with the bases juiced. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the following caveat. I think a lot of people, when they talk about labor unions, rightfully point out that many labor unions are pretty corrupt. Yeah. That is true. 
However, if we're going to talk about a corruption competition, I'd say labor unions and the titans of corporate industry, it's it's tough to say which one of those is more corrupt. <laughs> so it's not as though labor unions are alone in their corruption with respect to the organizations that they're sort of pitted against. Sure. Okay. If you t- So take the corruption argument off the table. I think labor unions are particularly important in uh, fields of endeavor where the the physical demand on the employees, whether we're talking about construction workers or whether we're talking about linebackers, right. is so extreme that it's very likely that they could be killed or severely injured in their line of work. Sure. It is another order of magnitude more important when the work that they're doing has the byproduct of enriching the people at the top of that ladder in ways that are beyond things we can even fathom, whether that is uh, uh, real estate tycoons or owners of professional sports teams. Right. Now, at the university level, it's a little bit different. and Not that different. But it's not they don't, that they don't, different. They don't pay the football players. So. They don't pay the football <laughs> players. And the idea that you as a football player could suffer a life-threatening injury and not have your medical expenses covered by the university that slaps its logo on your chest and runs you out there to make money off of ticket sales for the game that you're playing in, to make money off of advertising revenue uh, through the NCAA, to make money off of the the buckets of merchandise that are going to be sold uh, based on the athletic reputation that you're creating for them. I don't think there's any way to argue that the that these athletes should not have at least that level of protection by virtue of representation through a labor union. And at a higher level, I also think this is a a grand slam because the entire point of our show, Alan, it could be argued. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, (laughs) uh-oh. Is that... Dramatic statement alert. (laughs) Is that there needs to be an awareness at every level of our consciousness, of the the cultural context in which sports take place. Yep. And and the degree to which we um, we tend to think that athletic contests happen in a vacuum. These games are going to go out there and get played, and people are going to win or lose, and then there's a whole business side that's not connected. That's not true. These things are intimately connected. And so this is a very important step in increasing the awareness around that fact. I think that that is actually uh, a well-put and well-argued point that does a very good job of uh, uh, of summing up my feelings on Whitey Lockman, and I think that I have the same rating, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that worked out very nicely. I agree. And uh, what we're what we're going to do now is is jump to our interview segment. Now, for this week, ladies and gentlemen, we are extremely excited to have Rock Kubatko on the program. Uh, you, like us, probably refresh Rock's blog several hundred times a day. You probably follow him on Twitter. You rely on him for his combination of in-depth Orioles reporting and his wonderful sense of humor. And can I just say? the really sincere, genuine way in which he engages with his readers and commenters. Fantastic guy. We're excited to have him on the show. We're going to talk to him right now. 
Folks, we tend to think that our obsessive refreshing of various blogs and Twitter feeds day in and day out means we've got our finger on the pulse of the Orioles. It is, however, nothing compared to the nonstop devotion of our guest on the show today, who is embedded with the team year-round, posting hilarious and informative dispatches on his blog at massinsports.com, which he calls the School of Rock. Rock Kabako joins us on the phone now to talk about the offseason so far. Rock, welcome to Baltimoreans. Thanks, guys. How you doing? We, uh, well, we're happy to have you on. We're not so happy about the offseason so far. <laughs> And by the way, I love that it's Baltimoreans because I used to think that that's what people from Baltimore were called. And I was called told, no, it's Baltimoreans. I'm like, you know what? Baltimoreans sounds so much better. <laughs> and in, is in some way more spiritually accurate, I think. Uh, you know, it, uh, I know uh, quite a few Baltimoreans. I'm just going to, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will endeavor to be as moronic as possible with you this evening. Um, we uh, we wanted to start off by asking, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of Orioles fans are looking at this offseason basically as a catastrophe. Um, but what we'd like to know, in your opinion, is do we need a reality check or have we really lost a significant amount of ground with respect to the other teams in the AL East? Well, first of all, I'd hope that people would have at least enough of a grasp on reality, not think catastrophe. I mean, it's it's baseball. So we got to reel it <laughs> a little bit there. Let's let's be up this, but... I mean, the offseason hasn't gone the way that I know most fans, you know, were hoping. I don't know what they were realistically expecting. Like, I know for me, my purposes, I've never, I never reported that the Orioles were going to be big spenders all of a sudden in the free agent market. That, that was never going to be the case. But, and there's still possibilities, you guys know, before spring training starts, they can go ahead and add a, a frontline starting pitcher. And all of a sudden, this offseason might look different. But that said, on paper, if you look at the club right now compared to what it was at the end of 2013, you'd have to be the optimist to say, hey, this team's as good or better than it was. I mean, on paper, it doesn't look that way. But again, A, they're not done with the offseason. You know, A.J. Burnett all of a sudden is available. He wants to pitch in 2014. I think the Orioles would be one of the favorites to get him. It's not Arroyo. Is, is in the picture. They're looking at you know Jimenez. They're looking at, at Santana if they're willing to give up the first round pick. So there's still something that could happen. And we don't know how good David Lowe's going to be. I think he's actually going to be an upgrade from Nate McLeod. And 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 we know Delman Young pretty much rakes against left-handers. So you know, and, and maybe Brian Flannery wound up being at least more durable than Brian Roberts was at second base, <laughs> which is not difficult to do. Not difficult. I'm more durable at second base. That's a whole other story. And, 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 you know, and I know they're counting, and it's a lot of ifs and ifs, but they're counting on, you know, Zach Britton becoming the next Chris Tillman, where he's out of options and all of a sudden takes that next step. And, and maybe Gosman, by at some point during the season, is ready to jump in, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Chen missed two months with an oblique injury. What if he's healthy all season? There's a lot of, you know, ifs. And they could all pan out, and this team could be in the playoffs, or they don't pan out and they don't make it. I mean, unless you have a crystal ball, we don't know. But they've got a great core six, but beyond that, I don't know if they've done enough around it. But the offseason isn't over, and for as far as we know, they could go at these guys that they're counting on to take that next step could go ahead and do it, and all of a sudden, this team is a contender. So catastrophe's out. I'm, I'm yeah, let's get rid of catastrophe. <laughs> I don't think it's a catastrophe right now. Good. Hey, the Yankees have spent $4 trillion, <laughs> and yet conceivably they've got Kelly Johnson 
a 40-year-old Derek Jeter, Brian Roberts, and an injury-prone Mark Teixeira in their infield. So, yeah. I mean, and, and who's closing for them? And, and I think Sebastian is on his way down. Agreed, so, agreed. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they've got, I still worry more about the Red Sox and Rays than I do about them. Yep. Well, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about the ifs with the Orioles because, to me, when you look at exactly all the factors you just mentioned with the Yankees, all of their ifs have very high upside, but they've also, if any of, if two or three of those guys go wrong, all of a sudden you're looking at a worse team than they put out on the field last year. Right, and you've already blown past the luxury tax, and then you're going to have that issue. And the, new, the pressure in New York, Girardi will be out of a job. They'll want to fire the GM. I mean, they've spent a boatload of money, and I don't know if they've addressed all the needs that they have. Jacoby Ellsbury might be the worst free agent contract in baseball this winter. Oh, from then your lips to God's ears, Rock. <laughs> yes, that was insane. Everybody I talk to in baseball scratches their head and goes, really? Like, nobody else would have done that. But I'm sure Oriole fans were like, hey, at least they're spending money. Like, hey, Daniel Snyder's a winner with Redskins, but at least he spends money. Well, he does, he, but, you know, he spends it recklessly, and they haven't been, you know, they don't go to the playoffs and whatever. So, I mean, you know, I'd like to see the Orioles kind of open up the purse strings a little more. Granted, but there's also there's smart spending and there's stupid spending. And, and given seven years, whatever, to Ellsbury, that's dumb. So, but but you know, I, I do think that some of the... Um the perception from outside of Baltimore has been that the Orioles coming into this offseason were a few kind of small moves away from um, being a major contender. You know, the one one starter, one closer, and one hitter away from competing seriously. And that that we've been hearing a lot this idea that we're, like, letting something slip away. Is this a window closing, or are we young enough and competitive enough that this is going to be a long-term good team and we can all just kind of cool our jets a little bit by freaking out about this year, 2014, being a big deal. Well, I mean, I don't know about long term because I mean, I think it's fair to have that concern. I mean, I think they'll re-sign JJ Hardy. I mean, that, that should be a fairly easy negotiation. But it, it's fair to have that concern about the window when you look at Weeders and Chris Davis two years from now being free agents with Scott Boris as their agent. I mean, that there's a very good reason why you should be a little bit concerned about that. <laughs> yes. so that you know, I mean, it's not, if it was somebody else representing them or whatever, but yeah, I mean, there, there should be a concern in that regard. So I can see why people think that window is closing and you better go for it now. However, the Orioles may be looking at us, look, we can at least sign at least one of them, if not both of them. And, and, you know, Dan Duquette, he's a depth guy built around that core and he and Buck think, hey, what's already in place can be good enough, and they're just kind of tr- trying to tweak it. At the same time, Dan's still trying to add that big frontline starting pitcher. But, you know, for you and me, yeah. I mean, it seems like right <laughs> now you better go ahead and go for it because I'm not real optimistic in two years that those guys are going to still be in Baltimore because, especially a guy like Chris Davis, I don't expect him to hit 50 home runs again, but if he does, <laughs> and, the way the mar- yeah, and the way the market is right now, like, you know, if Jason Vargas can get four years, thirty-two million, and I like Jason, but he's been fairly mediocre. What's a fifty home run plus defender first baseman like Chris Davis going to be worth in a couple of years? It, it so, could yeah. be outrageous. So, Starts I mean, looking I like see... about uh, a million bucks a home run at a certain point. Right, and hey, if I'm if I'm Adam Jones, I'm thinking, wow, did I sign too soon? Because <laughs> if Adam hadn't signed that extension. What would he be worth right now? Let's say a free agency right now, what Adam Jones would be worth. So, I mean, I can understand why there is that concern. But I think the Orioles are looking at it like, 
they're going to build around this core, and they've got time. You know how deliberate they are. And they haven't even started negotiations with J.J. Hardy yet, and he's a free agent after the season, yet they still think they'll get it done. They slow play it the way Andy McPhail did and now the way Dan Duquette does. So, yeah, I think that window is going to start closing, and a lot of fans do too. The organization feels like they still have time. So okay, we'll see. so if, if the window is closing then, you gave us a bunch of ifs. Um, I, I would like to think hopeful ifs, possible ifs, but if you were to rank those ifs in, in, in who you think might take the next step this year, um, who do you, who's, the, who's the, peep, the person on that list of ifs that is going to be the next um, Machado or next breakout star for us? Maybe the next Tillman. How about that? Well, I'm sure they're hoping that it's a Zach Britton who's going to have fresh eyes on him, and I still say that's the best T-shirt idea ever. Somebody needs to jump on it, because that <laughs> phrase has been used so many times. It's fresh eyes with Dave Wallace and Don Cheedy. Again, I really like David Lowe in left field. I know that was the most popular trade with some fans, but he's a guy who's going to hit lefties better than McLeod did. He's got a better arm than McLeod did. Yeah. And and, and then, you know, people don't realize that. I, mean, I, I like Nate, and he was a plus defender, but if you saw him, there were a lot of times where you thought you had to play to plate, and Nate would double clutch, and he couldn't make the throw. It yep. looked like he had the Steve Sachs yips. <laughs> and look at his look at his numbers against lefties. Look what he hit in the second half. So people act like this is a huge loss. Yeah. The Nats grossly overpaid for a fourth outfit or a Nate. Let's yeah. be honest. You know they're hoping that that uh, Reinhold's going to give him a full year being healthy. And I know that's a gamble, but as Brady Anderson told him, right? But as Brady said, I said, hey, I talked to Nolan. He seems like he's doing well. And Brady goes, yeah, it's amazing when when the vertebrae actually fuse and how much better you feel. <laughs> I mean, this guy, they, you know, and that's true. They, you know, he had that surgery. They cleared him too early, and the vertebrae didn't fuse, and people are like, oh, he only needs a second surgery. And it's like, well, yeah, it's more of a corrective surgery. He never should have been cleared the first time. So at least they did the surgery correctly this time. So, you know, let's see what happens with him. Yeah. Well, so, Rock, you've just hit us with a bunch of really, really sound, rational ways of looking at the season. Um, but here at Baltimoreans, we tend to be guided a little bit more by uh, emotion than by rationality or fact. So we're hoping, uh, as kind of a way to close out here, that you can help us understand this particular moment in Orioles history in musical terms. So if you were to, uh, if you were to consider this offseason as a song, would it be A... Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. B. Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast. Or C. Love the One You're With by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Rather, maybe a D option. Um, we, could, we could go. We could go. Blurred lines and uh, Robin Thicke. Well, at this point, uh, we'll not be Robin Thicke. But uh, at this point, <laughs> thank oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yes. Uh, at this point, I'd have to go with C, just because the Orioles are kind of in that spot where until they make the big splash in free agency, they keep telling us that Duquette and, and Showalter both said it. And we really like the guys we have, so you pretty much have to love the one you're with then, at that point. <laughs> I mean, that, that makes sense to me. And then, and I know Buck's in a position where, publicly at least, when you ask him about, hey, the possibility of adding so-and-so, he doesn't want his players 
reading quotes from him as if he's not happy with who's coming to camp and we need this and we need that. So he's going to be very loyal to the guys he has, and I totally understand that. Now, if you hook up the lie detector, he probably hopes they can go ahead and add a front-line 200-inning <laughs> starter guy. But off the record, hey, these are my guys, and I'm going to war with them and whatever. So I guess right. the team would have to be in love the one you're with. Well, we'll be looking forward to that Rock Kubatko exclusive article where you get Buck Showalter hooked up to a lie detector and see what happens. <laughs> I'm working on it, guys. I swear I am. We'll also tell Twitter that it's not bombs over Baghdad so everyone can just calm down for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> it really be. isn't that serious. I know somebody asked me on Twitter, like, man, it's like, how hard is it for you to smile and while Rome is burning? And it's like, man, Rome is not burning. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, this team has been at all 500 the last two years, you know, again, the Orioles are counting on a lot of ifs, and that if they pan out, they're going to look brilliant. If they don't, it's going to look like that they get to pull their thumbs and Rome was burning, and they're going <laughs> to miss out, and the window's going to slam shut. I guess the advice of a crystal ball, we have no way of knowing right now. Well, uh, we'll try to keep it on the David Crosby tip uh, over here at Baltimoreans. And of course, we will be following the season all year long with Rock at his blog, School of Rock, at MassInSports.com, and also on Twitter, at MassInRock. Rock, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot. Don't be angry. Don't be sad. Don't sit crying over good times ahead. There's a girl right next to you. And she's just waiting you're listening to Baltimore, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. Well, folks, it is, of course, Oscar season. And Charlie Hoppus, who was only recently freed from Dan Duquette's secret underground forgotten prospects of the late 90s <laughs> research center, has come through again. He has tipped us off to the existence of an upcoming feature, which, if the preview you're about to hear is any indication, looks to be an early favorite for the best film of 2014. This summer, in a city where crime and baseball do battle for headlines, one man has fought the bad guys by night and some pretty brutal platoon splits by earlier night. Here's the 2-2 two, to two Weeders. Ground ball to second, should be two. Zobris to second for one, on to first, double play. And Weeders has another hitless afternoon. Matthew, you can't go on like this. We can't go on like this. They expect you to be a Hall of Famer. They expect you to be Jesus in cleats. They expect you to be Mauer with power. It's time to just focus on baseball. And allow the city of Baltimore to fall victim to Omar and Walter White and the cigarette-smoking man, and Magneto? Without me out there each night, who would stop those crooks? Honey, the sun is dripping you every single day. Just tell them you've been keeping the city safe and it's making you too tired for baseball. No, because I'm the hero Baltimore deserves, but not the one it needs right now. What, what does that even mean? But every hero reaches his breaking point. Waiters is just terrible. Why do they even let him hit left-handed? And if he's so great at calling games, why do all of our starters suck? And the only question is... I'm hanging up the mask, Teagarden. You're retiring? Not that mask. It's time to focus on baseball. Whose balls he breaks. 
Matt Wiedes continues to shock the baseball world. With his two home runs tonight, he now has 12 in August. Even more surprisingly, he has 12 stolen bases to match. Matt Wieters extended his hitting streak to 36 games in a row with his bases loaded double earlier tonight. And his diving catch of Jose Reyes' attempt at a bunt single sealed the deal as the Orioles beat the Jays 5-2. Well, you, you don't think about the records. You, you don't think about any of that. You just try to think about helping the team win. You don't think about all the bad in the world that you could be stopping. You just try to catch the thieves that you can on the field, even if they're just trying to steal bases. Teagarden, what's going on? Ryan Flaherty stole the USS Constellation and is sailing it right towards the aquarium. Sounds like a regular Saturday. But it's every child in Baltimore go to the aquarium day. My God. One man has to choose between his team and his city. Because with great warning track power comes great warning track responsibility. Michael Caine is Taylor Teagarden. Sam Dingman is Dan Duquette. Matt Damon as Matt Wieters, and Rick Dempsey as himself in Unmasked Justice. I'm not so sure about an extension, Mr. Scott Boris. I mean, Matt's been great for us for a number of years, but he's not really all that active in the community. Because I, I think it's going to tell a very important tale that will uh, maybe maybe um, elucidate our frustrations with Matthew Wieters mm. and and paint him in a historical light that is is beyond his left uh, left side of the of the batter's box statistics. <laughs> Does wins against replacement count? Mastermind criminals apprehended. Ah, it's not really a complete statistic unless it does, in my opinion. I, I, I think you know we've just revealed yet another critical flaw in the wins against replacement metric um, that has has not been taken into account by the baseball nouveau literati. But thank you to Charlie Hoppus very much for putting together that seventh inning sketch. Uh, we appreciate his customary brilliance. I don't know if you're ever going to get to hear him again in his role as the uh, as one of the Orioles spastics. Come back to us, spastics. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> Thank you also to Rock Kabatko for taking the time to chat with us this evening. Again, you're already reading his blog, so I don't really need to tell you to do it. But if by some weird chance you're an Orioles fan who doesn't know about Rock Kubatko, I have just given you a greater gift than I could ever hope to have given you as the host of an Oriole-centric podcast. That's true. And where have you been for the last 15 years? Also, where do you... I mean, you got you got Masson and you got the Baltimore Sun. And, uh, I mean... They could, they, could they could, in fact, follow the entire Orioles season through GameCast. Maybe there are people who get all their Orioles news from us. <laughs> They have a perverted sense of what the Orioles have been doing recently, then. Anyway. Uh, we they do... also think that the Orioles care a lot more about politics than they probably do. <laughs> um, there are many different ways that you out there in the world of Baltimoreans can contact us. We told you about them at the beginning of the show, uh, but I, I do want to um, highlight one email 
that came in um, through through the uh, Baltimoreans podcast at gmail.com, which you should feel free at any point to avail yourself of. Use it. Um, it's there. We got 15 gigs of storage space in the inbox. <laughs> um, right now, it's a lot of penis pill ads. <laughs> Great. And one email from my aunt, Kate, <laughs> who writes, Love the six degrees of Elvis separation. Here's a story I'm fairly sure isn't just made up. Your granddaddy, George, saw Elvis in an act in the 50s and told everyone, that guy is going nowhere, quote, he's awful. <laughs> so, at the very least, we learn from this that my prognosticating and predicting abilities, um, I come by them honestly. <laughs> you come by them honestly. <laughs> uh, here are some things we come by dishonestly. The music that we use on the program. <laughs> Segways! <laughs> Which... Uh, uh, it, we will be somewhat less dishonest and tell you who created it, lest you think that in addition to running a high-level podcasting operation, Alan and I also have a recording studio uh, and sick guitar skills. Uh, at the beginning of the show, every week, you hear the Baltimoreans theme song written and performed by Marshall York. You then hear a little snippet from Working for Another Song by the band Town Hall. You uh, then hear interstitial music by the band Weather Report. The song is Birdland. <laughs> I'll let you think about that one in case you haven't for some reason for the last 79 episodes. <laughs> we also occasionally use uh, a little clip from the song Sample in a Jar from the album Hoist by Fish and behind me now it's Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. We should also mention that we did um, play at least a small piece of four rock classics Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven <laughs> Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast, um, Love the One You're With by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and just a touch of uh, Robin Thicke's Blurred Line. Which you just called a rock and roll classic. <laughs> <laughs> Oops! Sam! <laughs> yes? What do you call Henry Arudia when his meager offensive abilities are supposed to protect us from the hailstorm of excellence that is the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox starting rotations? That would be Henry Poorly Constructed Bumbershootia. Yes, it would. Good night. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>